0: Hello, my name is Jason Reichel and you're listening to Risk Management Brick by Brick. I'm fascinated with people who are helping build and maintain the physical world around us. On each episode of this podcast, we'll dive in with a risk manager, speak to them about how technology plays a role in this process. Joining me today is Haley Weiss. Haley is a Senior Risk Analyst at Weiss Builders, a well-established respected construction company. The background in risk management. Haley plays a critical role in assessing and mitigating potential risks associated with the company's projects. She utilizes her analytics skills to evaluate project-specific risks, develop risk mitigation strategies, and implement effective risk management protocols. She's really fascinating in the way she does her approach to risk management. I think there's a lot to learn here. Let's get to it. Thank you for joining me on Brick by Brick, Haley. How are you today?
1: I'm great. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about this on the podcast, but I have a seven-year-old daughter and she had lice this week. It's been a terrible week.
1: Oh, no.
0: <laughs> a terrible week for her. It's her big, terrible week. But I think we have it under control now, which is good. But she did ask me, why do girls get it more than boys? Why can't lice just be a thing that boys get? <laughs> so that's what, how my week's been. How about you? Anything interesting happen?
1: Nothing major. We <laughs> played some sand volleyball this week, so that was fun.
0: Cool. We're living on the same wavelength or you and I are on the same wavelength here. I wish I was playing sand volleyball. That sounds awesome. The first question I ask every guest, because most people don't wake up and I think maybe you have an interesting story here. They don't wake up and say, hey, I want to be a risk manager, right? That's not a thing that when we're kids, we really know. So my first question to you is, how did you end up in the position you're in now? And what led you there?
1: Yeah, it's kind of funny you ask that because a lot of people in the risk management insurance industry say like, You don't grow up saying I'm going to be a risk manager. Yeah. And so just to give you like a little bit of context on my background, I graduated from Iowa State University, go Cyclones. I majored in marketing and management and minored in psychology there. And so I feel like when you're a college student during the summers, you try to gain experience outside of the classroom. And so in between my junior and senior year of college, I actually got an internship with Gallagher, which is an insurance broker. And so I had an internship with Gallagher and I specifically was in their property casualty space. My internship was amazing. The people I worked with are all incredible people who were so supportive and always answered all my questions. And then at the end of the internship, they actually offered me a full-time position following my college graduation. So I started with Gallagher July of 2017 full-time following my graduation from Iowa State. And I worked at Gallagher the insurance broker in the property casualty space from 2017 to 2020. And then in 2020, I decided I wanted to move back to where I grew up, Minneapolis, Minnesota. And so I accepted a position as a risk management analyst with Weiss Builders. And I started March of 2020, right when COVID hit. So that was super fun. But yeah, so I've been with Weiss Builders for about three years now, and it's a great experience and I've learned a lot.
0: Yeah. So... You have the experience both on the broker side and on the risk manager side. How do you think that's informed your decision making and then what you view as risk and what you don't view as risk by having that experience?
1: Yeah, yeah. I would say it is pretty common within the insurance industry for associates to hop around. However, I would say the hopping around probably occurs more like they stay on the insurance side once they're on the insurance side. But being on the insurance broker side with Gallagher, I saw like the needs and wants of our clients, as well as I commuted, communicated directly with insurance carriers who kind of told me on the insurer side how they underrate their clients, which was interesting. But being on the contractor client side, I can actually fully understand for the most part, I still learn something new every day. And I can sit in the shoes of the client contractor side now and kind of have a deeper understanding of those needs and wants. I mentioned seeing on the broker side, as well as I actually know what kinds of risks and struggles we deal with on a day-to-day basis. Like I see them firsthand. But I believe at the end of the day, like the goal of both parties, the insurance broker and the contractor is to protect the contractor's balance sheet, obtain the strongest coverage possible and minimize risk.
0: Yeah. And that is, from a risk management person, because you're talking as the liaison between the contractor, right? Or maybe you're even talking about yourself, but let's say your subcontractors or your contractors that are doing work for you guys and the broker, how do you, like... What are strategies you have for managing vendors and having strong relationships with them? And some of, I mean, I know in construction specifically, sometimes your subcontractors have no one on their side. They even understand the insurance and that's not really what they built their business around. They don't really have even aspirations of being that kind of business that has, you know, an insurance expert working. So how do you manage those relationships? What are some key elements that you found in your career that really brings strong trade partners to the table.
1: And you're talking about my relationship as a general contractor with our subcontractors. Yeah, with
0: your subcontractors, with how you manage them, even with your people, because I think it goes down that level. Your project managers don't really care about insurance either, or they don't really understand. Like They're trying to get the job done. So how do you position yourself? How do you communicate? What's your strategies around communication to those different parties that you have to interact with? Because that's the struggle of the risk manager is that you have to go into every team and try to de-silo it.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, communication is huge. I would say we as a GC aim to communicate clearly and often. We don't like to allow for surprises and we listen closely. Like when a problem is shared with us, at least from, I would say both when we receive a problem from our owner client, as well as when we receive a problem from our subcontractor, like we kind of treat it as like, it's no longer their problem, it's our problem. And so We really just try to do our best to listen, do our best to communicate it effectively and to over-communicate.
0: Can I ask you a follow-up question on that, which is around one of the biggest hurdles that I've seen talking to subcontractors or even talking to people on the job site? Like, Because as I've gotten around this industry, I try to understand from their perspective, what does risk management mean? And one of the things that they have told me and that I've seen other organizations be able to tackle is... Some of them say, "Well, if something happens and I don't have to tell the risk management department, I won't. I just won't. Like if I don't think I have to." So, how do you create an environment where those risks that they're bringing up aren't looked at as a red stain or something that they want to avoid, but instead something that they're bringing to the table so that you can actually do your job effectively and help them? How do you build that relationship?
1: It's fun you ask that because I would say that's in my like top five biggest challenges as a risk manager. I think there's unfortunately this culture and this mindset that if something goes wrong on the job, it's my fault and we're just going to try to fix it and like solve it. And then we don't have to tell risk management about it. But I would really encourage both associates that work for general contractors and associates that work for subcontractors to throw that mindset away. If there is an issue, like risk management wants to know about it and we just want to help you. It's not like we're going to, Slap the back of your hand. It's, you're not going to get in trouble. We want to help you, and that's the point of having us as risk managers is to help you through those problems.
0: Yeah, internally, it helps you assess projects in the future and get better information back to project management. Right? For subcontractors, you have to realize, I think, that you don't have that expertise, and you have this liaison with, luckily for them, with you, who can help them do that and navigate and it does benefit you not only to as a risk manager to mitigate your risk but it also helps you to it also benefits you to mitigate your subcontractors risk because that's also your reputation and i think when they realize that what you're there to do is to protect everyone and make sure that the risks that they're taking they're aware of and that you're aware of and that everybody's aware of and the things that you want to mitigate you're able to mitigate successfully i think that's where I found risk management is really starting to talk about the data in their systems. How can we utilize this data to support everyone? How can we use the, utilize the data in our tools to present to our broker so that they can have a better conversation with an underwriter? These are all areas where when I was at RIMS a few weeks ago, it seemed like innovation was sort of coming up. How do we move from being behind the finance wall, being behind this wall, and move more out into being useful for everyone in the field? and very proactive in our own insurance negotiations and understand what we have. Where have you seen innovation coming from? Where are you excited as a risk manager today where you think, oh, this is where the industry is going and I'm excited about these trends?
1: Yeah, I think the insurance market is always fluctuating. I mean, I've seen both softer and harder markets during my time working. But I would say in terms of trends, I hate to say it, but I am a little bit concerned about the quality of subcontractors for general contractors in the future like specifically a lack of qualified labor. There are definitely like incredible hardworking companies and subcontractors out there, but on the flip side, as there are in any industry, there are companies that are not that way. And so I would say that I'm looking forward to using technology to our advantage. And so I do think the construction industry is one industry that may be a bit behind in terms of technology, but that would be one that would benefit from it the most.
0: Well, the technology's all gone to the field, right? right? Like field technologies, not necessarily yeah. how do you administrate this and do better on that?
1: hundred percent. Yeah. Like I heard at a conference I attended, there's a safety feature for field associates that measures dehydration and their health, and it notifies them when to take a break and drink some water. Like I think things like that are amazing.
0: Yes. And knowing when, not to get too big brother on here, because but knowing when, hey, what was the level of everyone's dehydration when an incident occurred? is a real time indicator like how important I mean you talked about your background in psychology right but behavior is a core component of a risk manager i think of risk manager as you are part operations you are part behavioral scientist and you are are part like complex problem solver in those venn diagrams when they come together makes i think what i call the modern risk manager which is someone that understands all those factors are critically important to the success of the built world right especially in construction
1: Yeah, it definitely has to be a holistic approach. I mean, the contractor's bottom line and financial success is one thing, but I mean, the safety and health of our associates is obviously top priority.
0: Yeah. One thing that you mentioned was the lack of skilled workforce. And I've actually heard some general contractors are now creating training programs or putting money into their top 15 subcontractors to pay for training to try to up-level those organizations. Have you thought about how you're going to approach the lack of talent? Because if there is a lack of talent. Like GC, the subcontractors, people are saying, or we used to have 100 and now we try to work with 15 or 20 because those 20 are really solid. But that also puts risk into your entire program as well if you're looking at overall risk of your business. right? How do you think you can influence that gap, that skill gap? Like how? what conversations are you having or what are interesting ideas that are floating around inside of your mind?
1: Yeah. So I actually recently attended a subcontractor default forum for general contractors shared best practices, which in my opinion is one of the best ways to brainstorm new ideas. And there was such like an emphasis on putting the exact same amount of emphasis as you do safety, as you do quality. And one of the biggest things that leads to rework and quality issues is just a lack of communication on the front side. So An analogy someone gave was a subcontractor comes on site and they're told how to do something, but they just did eight projects that were very similar to this project. Yes. But this ninth project calls for something else. So they might implement what they did on the past eight projects, when in reality, this ninth project calls for something else. So that over-communication I was talking about earlier, that trickles down to subcontractor quality and communication as well.
0: Yeah, that's a really good framework for thinking about it. When we think about something like contractor-controlled insurance programs, which have gained a lot of attention, can you explain the concept of CCIPs and discuss their advantage and potential changes in the construction industry? This is something that also came up a lot when I'm talking to construction risk managers and so on.
1: Yeah, so contractor-controlled insurance program, aka CSIP, is when a GC general contractor enrolls all of their subs under one program on a project for general liability and excess insurance coverage for on-site work. You can also do workers' compensation, but in my experience, we've only stuck to GL and excess. I would say the biggest benefits are that you get better coverage certainty and better coverage than what individual subs can no- negotiate on their own. I mean, if you hire a tiny HVAC sub, we're going to be able to negotiate a better coverage for them in a CSIP than they can on their own. I would say the biggest benefit though, is that you're operating under a unified claims approach and all parties are operating under the same policy and procedure. So if there is a claim, like say two years after we turn the building over to the owner, a sprinkler line breaks and it's determined it was due to a subs faulty workmanship installation. So that would be general liability coverage under the property damage. We know that our CSIP is going to respond because we enrolled that subcontractor rather than having to point fingers and be like, it's the GC's coverage, it's the subs coverage, it's the second tier subs coverage. There's no pointing fingers. It's the CSIP that responds.
0: Yes, right. What's the feeling from the subcontractors? Do they like that approach? Do they value that approach or do they think that that part of the organization, that that idea is getting in the way of their own decision making?
1: I think it's maybe 50-50. I would say some subs enjoy it because I mean they kind of like take a step back and let us do the work. I mean, yeah, we require an enrollment form, but in terms of like the administrative work they have to do, they don't have to do anything on their own. We kind of do it for them. Sometimes we get pushback, but I would say, I mean, it's for their benefit as well. It's not like it's for our benefit, it's for the project's success that it's for the entire group's success.
0: Yeah. And it's really about that project too which is different than way the way businesses look at their own insurance because what i found is that you look at your insurance and you only change your insurance if you're bidding on a job that you're going to get and then it requires you to change your insurance and then sometimes you might not even be able to get that coverage on your own or for a reasonable amount and you're kind of stuck in a position that slows down the whole onboarding of everyone onto those projects so i think it's a positive thing overall for the industry and i also think it lends to accountability with the people who are owning the project and putting that relationship with the person who's building the project, the owners of the project, essentially, it's making it cleaner. I feel like it's a cleaner model than other models for mitigation. What are some of the ways that you, and this is maybe a complex question, but for you, when you think about risk management and you had to break it down into its individual components of what your day-to-day looks like, what are the areas that risk managers go? Obviously, people talk about contractual risk transfer and mitigation is a big element of risk management and understanding and buying insurance. But there are other elements of it too that I don't think people talk about as much because insurance is complex, but so is risk management. So what are the other areas and other things you do that you consider part of risk management?
1: Yeah, so I mean, when you think about the definition of risk, I mean, it's essentially a scenario where you're exposed to a loss. And so... Yes, that loss could be covered by insurance, but it also may not. And so if you think about the various things that a construction site could be exposed to in terms of losses, it could be exposed to property damage to the building, which would either be covered by builder's risk or general liability or property insurance. So there's those insurance coverages. But there's also the humans, the associates that we value so much that are on the site they're exposed to potential injuries. And so in regards to that, we have safety directors and quality directors that train them on safety and also train them on how to make sure the quality of the product and the quality of their work is as best as possible. And then on the flip side, we purchase workers' compensation insurance to cover their injuries. And so there's a the building, there's site conditions, there's the associates that are on site. So there's just so many different elements to a construction site and to risk that you're right. It's not just insurance. There's the quality, there's the safety, there's the training, there's all of that that goes into it.
0: When I think about a risk program, it's like a business has two options because it's all about defining the risk appetite of the business, right? Without taking risk, there's no forward movement on anything, right? So you can't stop all risk. And so when I think about this, I always think about it as sort of a paradigm where it's like governance, which is how we take in a risk and who we talk to about that risk. Some organizations are moving to where they actually have a governance board that they talk about these things on. Then you can go and go, is this going to be a new procedure that we're going to actually build a procedure for that allows us to accept this risk, but try to do it as safely as possible? Or is this going to be something we don't do and that we make a rule against, essentially, or make a policy against this? And then you have to have that policy enforcement of, are we doing these things? When you think about that governance model, how has that changed since the beginning of your career? And what's your relationship with your executive team or your, the vice president of whatever your... It's hard because everyone's infrastructure is different. But what? how has that changed? How has talking about risk and bringing it up and incorporating that into the broader organization changed since you've started your career?
1: Yeah. So I think when you think about construction, you do have to think about the fact that an owner developer is hiring us, like they're our client. And so we're a team on the project, the owner client and us as the contractor. And so I would say risk appetites and retentions and things like that are somewhat project specific. So, and also we have to take into consideration the owner's risk appetite because I've been in situations where our risk appetite, aka how much retention or deductible we're willing to take on and willing to put our balance sheet at risk is less than an owner developer. So you kind of have to have conversations regarding that. And there's actually, it's getting pretty detailed. I mean, there's actuaries that analyze your balance sheet and your financials to determine the optimal retention and deductible for your risk appetite. You can get really detailed about it. But I would just say conversations with your chief executive officer, your president, and your chief financial officer are kind of your team in regards to how much risk appetite you're willing to take on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you then have to translate that and communicate it up to these owner developers, which is a unique thing in the construction industry and where risk managers sit in that. And do you, because you work with these owner developers, which I think is something that we don't ever really talk about on the podcast, but they can dictate so much about how much risk management time is actually spent on their projects or how that structure works. Is it a constant negotiation on how risk management for their project or for their building works? Or is your guys' approach of like, this is best in class, this is how we do it. And by hiring us, you're accepting the way that we handle these kind of things.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I would say the clients we work with are very sophisticated, experienced developers and they trust us, I would say. I think we also have longstanding relationships. I mean, we have 20 plus year relationships with these owners. So they kind of trust our judgment in terms of how we handle the construction site. I would say sometimes what would come up in terms of negotiations would be something like purchasing subcontractor default insurance because that's something that is an insurance coverage you can purchase where if a subcontractor defaults and goes out of business on your project, You have insurance proceeds to cover that loss. Sometimes owners aren't willing to pay that premium. And so that's a conversation where sometimes we'll say, you know what, we'd like to purchase this. We'll cover the cost. You don't have to pay for it. Or sometimes owners say, that's a great coverage. We'd love to buy that for the project. So things like that come up.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What's interesting about that to me is that all of this is so project specific. It's so much about your relationships. How do you manage? How do you make yourself aware? What systems do you use? Obviously, all this stuff's in the contracts, but like you have to be involved throughout this whole process. So what organization systems do you use to stay informed and understand the difference between this project and this other project and this owner and this other owner, these associates and these other associates? What have you seen be really successful for yourself?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, personally, we use the CMIC online platform where, which holds all of our subcontracts and change orders and various items we have in regards to, you can drill down by project and then subcontractor, which is a very nice online platform. In terms of contracts themselves, I do refer to the owner contract a lot. I refer to the owner contract and I refer to the subcontract. And we actually have an in-house general counsel who reviews the language and all of those to ensure there's an entire exhibit dedicated to insurance and risk management and indemnification. So I look at that. Our chief financial officer looks at that and our in-house general counsel looks at that and all three of us sign off on it.
0: And then when something comes up, it's like, you have to pull, you have to dust the thing out and pull it up and then like, be like, how active are you in reviewing all of these? Is it like when you have active projects, like, cause the thing that always fascinates me about risk management is. You have to both be proactive and reactive, right? And I always have questions. How do you maintain proactiveness? That's a thing that like we, most risk managers don't really have an answer, but I know they're doing this. Like, and it's just, is it having your ear to the ground? Is it sitting in on meetings and hearing things and being like, okay, that's something that I should check out. How do you find the risk proactively?
1: Yeah, so I mean, in terms of proactive, I would say we have a pretty small selective group of, owner clients we work with because we do have those long-standing relationships. So in terms of the owner contract language, it stays pretty consistent. And the only time I would come into play on the proactive side is if the owner had a revision to the contract before it's executed. I'm involved in the owner contract language prior to execution. I'm trying to think of other proactive like risk management things we do. I mean, I would say purchasing subcontractor default insurance prior to the project's inception, project start, has been really important. I think personally, it's one of the best coverages you can buy out there in the insurance industry because you, mean, I mean, you just never know. I mean, things happen and that's why you buy insurance. You yeah, can't right. predict the future. You can't predict your future risks. But you can be proactive, like you said, and purchase these insurance coverages that if something does come up, which hopefully it doesn't, but if it does, you have the coverage to put in place.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Final question for you, which is what's a piece of advice that you would give someone entering into the industry on what it takes to be a good risk manager or a good proponent for every all the different relationships that you have to manage in risk management.
1: Yeah, I would just say keep an open mind. I think that sometimes when people hear the word insurance or risk management, their mind goes to that's boring, but honestly, my job is pretty exciting. I encounter something new every single day and i deal with if someone asked me what do you do on a day-to-day basis i don't know if i'd be able to give them a hard answer just because <laughs> things come up every yeah. day i would also say stay curious i interned at gallagher like i said and i would say i tried to ask as many different people as many questions as i could and i think that's a great way to accumulate information and even now that i'm 6 years into my career i still ask questions and i still learn something new every day. So I would say stay
0: curious. Amazing. Thank you for your curiosity. And thank you for your time. See you around, Haley. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Thank you
0: for your time. Risk Management Brick by Brick is brought to you by TrustLayer. Find out how TrustLayer manages risk so that people can build the physical world around us. Head over to TrustLayer.io. And then make sure to subscribe to Risk Management Brick by Brick on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. On behalf of the TrustLayer team, thank you for listening.